Verse 7 is where we're going to be looking at in this sermon. It is basically the conclusion to this part of this parable. I'll begin reading in verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So verse 7 is a sort of commentary by Jesus on what he just said. His conclusion ends up being pointed at the Pharisees and the scribes. I say to you, I think is aimed primarily at them and any unre, un, uh, unre, unrepentant sinner that might have heard him. When he says, I say to you, in essence, he's saying, you know, maybe more in the way we would, hey, listen up, this is important. Um, there will be more joy in heaven. So G Jesus is saying, Heaven approves of him because he went out and finds the lost. And so Jesus takes the lost home and his friends and neighbors, if the neighbors are the angels, which probably are. So the saints on the earth and the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're therefore approving of what, who Jesus identifies himself as and what Jesus claims to be doing but they disapprove him, the Pharisees and scribes. Saying that the angels rejoice is, is in one way of saying that heaven's on my side and not your side, okay? The elect angels, the holy angels, rejoice when I do what I do. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Notice that Jesus mentions repentance for the first time. It's not the last time it's mentioned, but it's the first time it is mentioned. The implication is that the sheep in the story represents a lost sinner who repented, right? If the joy is over the one sinner who repents, then the one sinner in the story must have repented. The implication is that the sheep in the story represents a lost sinner who repented, the lost sinner recognized something about himself. Repentance involves that, a, a recognition about yourself that you're a sinner in need. And the need is so great, you can't provide the need. You can't make up for the lack. The theme, by the way, of repentance is picked up and expanded in the next two stories, especially in relation to the lost son, which we'll get there probably about August. Then he says, then over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So now we have 99 picked up. Here Jesus takes up the 99 that were mentioned already in verse four. It's the same group. That's why I identified them last week or a couple weeks ago as the Pharisees, those who think they need no repentance. 
It's almost like Jesus is saying, you think you don't need repentance. You think you're okay, don't you? But I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are not righteous. I've called not, I call not the righteous, but sinners, right? Jesus says that elsewhere. Matter of fact, listen to Luke 5, 29 through 32. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, by the way, you there is capitalized, so it looks like they were addressing our Lord. Why do you, Jesus, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, does Jesus mean there are really righteous people out there? They don't need me. I didn't come for them. They can save themselves. They're righteous. They're not sinners. He doesn't mean that, right? He means I've not come to call people who think they're righteous. I've come to call sinners Luke 18, 9 to 14 says this. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Ha, huh. who's he describing there? Pharisees and scribes, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, interesting, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, tax collectors, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, this is repentance, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this just persons who need no repentance, what does that mean? Uh, Keats says, not that they did not need repentance, but they thought they did not need it, right? Kind of a good way to summarize it. So who are these 99 just persons, one man says, scribes and Pharisees, that murmured at Christ receiving sinners. There are the 90 and nine just persons who were only outwardly righteous before men and trusted in themselves that they were righteous and so stood in no need of repentance for it. At least they thought so. So identifying these 99 who need no repentance supplies Luke 15 with three interesting sets of contrasts between sinners and those who think they are righteous. Verses 4 through 7 refers to lost sheep and 99. Verses 8 through 10 refers to a lost coin and nine coins. Verses 11 through 21 refers to a younger son and an older son. You have these contrasts that are going on. We're going to look at the, the next one. Um, next week, the parable of the lost coin. And I was rejoicing again because I re was reading Benjamin Keach and I saw it 
from my own eyes, and I had underlined it, the woman is Jesus. So that's what I'll preach next week. But the Pharisees and scribes are not only representative of the bad shepherds of Old Testament prophecy, they are also a living picture of those who think they need no repentance today, okay? So just like the one sheep that was found, I said, you put yourself in, in, in her wool or his wool shoes. That's a picture of God saving you as well, right? Well, then these 99 aren't just an end in and of themselves, smug, religious, first century, you know, arrogant, look down their nose, better than everybody else kind of guys, but it's, picture, it's, a, it's a picture, it's representative of anyone and everyone who refuses to repent. You're full of yourself. You're stuffed up with pride. I don't need a savior. I don't need the cleansing blood. I can deal with this myself. I'll roll the dice. I'll face God as is. Those who think they need no repentance have a view of themselves that is antithetical to God's view of them. Obviously in the story, if you don't think you need repentance, you got big problems, right? But the people that don't think they need repentance is because they don't, they think they don't have big problems. Some, in one sense, our biggest problem is that we don't recognize that we are our biggest problem. Actually, in an unbelieving state, God is our biggest problem, right? They think they are okay with God, but they are not. And God tells them, God tells them so in various ways. Their consciences, the consciences of those who don't think they need Jesus, don't need repentance, don't need acknowledging in the sacred presence of God how wicked and evil and sinful their hearts are. Their consciences accuse them at times. But the clearest way God tells those who do not think they need repentance, that they, in fact, are in need of repentance, is in his written word, the Bible. The first recorded words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark's gospel are these. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Very interesting. Then after the resurrection of Christ, the apostles kept preaching the need to repent. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to have this intellectual recognition of your true state before God and agree with God's assessment of of your putrid state and that you need help. And that, by the way, repentance isn't, man, I'm a sinner, I'm a, I'm a long way from God. I need to clean up, at least to show that I'm really serious, and then I'll go to Jesus for the icing on the cake. Foul eye to the fountain, fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Repentance involves the recognition of my putrid state and immediately going to, to God through Christ with your putridity. It's a word, right? Putridity, putridness, whatever. With all your sins and stains and guilt, and shame, and saying, wash me, Savior, or I die. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. It's 
So repentance does not mean to clean up your life. Repentance does not mean to stop violating God's law, although we should, and start obeying it or else you're in trouble. Repentance says, I'm in trouble. It means to recognize that you're already in trouble, trouble that is so debilitating that you cannot clean yourself up. So this involves humbling ourselves. It means to acknowledge that we're a sinner, one who has broken God's law thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and yet you're breathing. Does God care for his creatures? You're breathing. It means to turn to God who dispenses mercy and forgiveness in the gospel. It means to go to Christ in faith with all your sin, foul, to be cleansed and healed and forgiven. And this parable is an illustration of Jesus saving people just like that. All the while, these smug, self-righteous people look on and you know, pity the weak Christians. You know, you guys, you, you guys need a, you're so weak, you need... You need crutches to live. And we're going, no, we need life. We're dead. It's worse than crutches. Sorry, I wasn't picking on your crutches. but <laughs> You need a wheelchair, don't you? No, I need life from the dead. I need forgiveness of sins. You're, you act as if all, all men are drowning in the ocean. No, we act as if we're all dead on the bottom. And we need life. Resusc- we need resuscitation. It's worse than we realize. Anyway, that's Jesus' conclusion. Let me just read some headings. These were come from Benjamin Keach's commentary. I, I don't know if he's got maybe 100 pages on Luke 15, 4 through 7. It's really small print. I, I got a headache last night reading it again, or maybe it was Friday night. But listen what he does. He does an exposition of the text like I've done, but a lot longer. And then he, he, he identifies four doctrines Five doctrines, five doctrines from the passage. And then for about 40 to 50 more pages, he proves each doctrine from elsewhere in scripture. So he does an exposition. He says there are five doctrines contained in this text, at least. Here they are. Then he proves each doctrine that he believes is contained in the text from other places in the Bible. Here's what he says, doctrine one, that our Lord Jesus Christ leaves all self-righteous persons in the wilderness of this world and goes after to seek and save such that are lost. That's in the text, right? Doctrine two, that sinners are lost naturally, even God's elect. They're out there, lost, by nature, children, of wrath, right? Even God's elect. Third, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek his sheep and will not give over seeking them until he hath found them and will carry them all home to God. That's in there. Fourth, that Christ's lost sheep cannot go home or return to God of themselves or upon their own feet or by virtue of any power of their own, but must be taken up in Christ's arms and carried home on his shoulders. That's in the text. And then the fifth one is that Jesus Christ and all his saints below on earth and also his angels above in heaven greatly rejoice when one lost sinner repenteth and is brought home to God. That's in the text as well. Well, let's pray.
Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it. Thank you for the sending the Savior of sinners, the uh, branch of David, Jehovah, our righteousness, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one promised to crush the head of the serpent and all the enemies of God and to consign all the enemies of God to a place where they can't harm the people of God for all of eternity. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the church. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for helping us rejoice together. May you save more so we can rejoice more and, and um, honor you and giving you the glory that's due your name for saving, saving sinners. Now bless the supper and the singing of your praises, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.